Spoiler alert, this podcast will cover events in the most recent aired episode of Game of Thrones on HBO. If you have not seen that episode yet, you may wish to avoid this podcast until you have. Otherwise, we hope you enjoy. Dedicated to HBO's Game of Thrones and George R.R. Martin's Song of Ice and Fire book series, you're listening to Podcast Winterfell. Here's your host, Matt Murdoch. Hey there, and welcome back to Podcast Wonderful. It's episode 297 of the podcast, How to Train Your Daenerys, Part 2. My name is Matt Murdoch, and I am from PodcastWonderful.com. That's where you can find all of the back episodes of the podcast. You can find social media links, contact links. You can also find podcast app links, and I would love it very much if you could take the time to leave me a written review on whatever podcast app you use, it helps me stay more noticeable amongst the other Game of Thrones podcasts that are out there. I'm pre-recording these episodes, so I don't have anybody to thank right now, but I would like to thank you in advance. And during our the recording of our 300th episode, I'll catch the list up to date. Speaking of which, we were going to have that recording on October 17th, but instead, and again, I'm pre-recording this, so it's even before October 17th, but instead, we are going to be recording that on November 28th at 10 p.m. Eastern, live at TalkShoe.com. And I would love it if you would be a part of that call. Just check in with whatever thoughts you have about the television show or the books, where they are right now. I'm going to segregate the audience. I'm going to take TV-only people first so that they can say their bit and get out of there. And then I'm going to take book people. And if you want to talk about both, then I'll just put you back on hold after the TV part and bring you back up for the book part. I would love it if I could hear from you on our 300th numbered episode special recording. It's a special fan call-in show. The way you participate is at 10 p.m. Eastern on November 28th. You dial 724 444-7444. You'll be asked for a show number and you dial 118884 and then the pound sign. And then if you're not a TalkShoe member, which I'm sure many of you aren't, you just dial 1 in the pound if you're asked for a personal identification number or PIN. If you want to just join in in the chat room and don't want to call in, we will be at TalkShoe.com at that time. It'll be up in the live audience, or you can just simply, uh, in their search engine there at TalkShoe.com, you can type in Podcast Winterfell Fan Call-In Show, and that's how you can find it to join in to the chat room. So... That's all the stuff about the podcast. We are into our part two of a look at Daenerys Targaryen. How to Train Your Daenerys, part two. Let's get going. prior Daenerys cast, we looked at some of the key events early on in Daenerys' storyline that explained some of her crusades against slavery and against the ill treatment of women as time has progressed. 
We took a brief look at her role as a possible savior, not just for Slavers Bay, but all of the whole world. This podcast, this time around, has to focus on how Daenerys can achieve that by not just being a conqueror, but also being a ruler. We have to focus on Daenerys' actions towards achieving her goals and the people who were involved in helping her to achieve them, or in some cases, are working against her. And it's here that we probably should move a little more slowly with Daenerys Targaryen and one key figure in her life, Jorah Mormont of Bear Island. As discussed in the prior podcast, Jorah was a member of House Mormont who was exiled from Westeros because of his involvement in selling slaves in order to try and make money for himself and his wife, and a wife who seemingly had excessive needs that the family simply couldn't afford. We also discussed how this situation of exile allowed him to become allied with Varys, the Master of Whispers, in order to regain his homeland. He obviously had reason to suspect that she might be assassinated due to his report on her pregnancy, but it is certain that by the time the news arrived of his pardon, he had decided to remain loyal to her and abandon his dreams of home, unless it involved returning to Westeros with Danny's conquering forces. Of course, eventually Daenerys would find out about Jorah's betrayal, but in the meantime, he did help her find her dragons in Carth. He helped her to gain an unsullied army in Astapor. He helped her to conquer Yunkai and Marine. He offered her sound counsel, even if Daenerys did not always heed it. And, of course, he fell in love with her, even though his admission was probably too little too late, as well as the love itself causing him to have problems with other members of Daenerys' team, such as Dario or Barristan. This older man looking longingly at his Khaleesi is, of course, what earned Jorah his multiple nicknames that we have for him on this podcast, like Jorah the Perv or Friendzone Jorah. But make no mistake, his betrayal in reporting to Varys was his last betrayal of Daenerys, actually, and he had served her with fervor and ferocity ever since. Perhaps his greatest crimes against her since his betrayal had been not admitting that betrayal to her until he was, of course, accused and another crime of loving her. But I do kind of want to address the very side of this betrayal for a second before we go on any further with Jorah. We saw Varys and Illyrio talking in King's Landing about Viserys, and in Season 5, Varys seems to be completely in support of Daenerys. Yet, he was the one who relayed the information about the pregnancy to Robert. He was the one who dispatched the pardon to Jorah, and told Ned it was too late to reverse the actions plotted against Daenerys. So, if he has been totally for Daenerys to rule the whole time, why would he have done this? And maybe we're to take Tyrion's explanation that Varys had his hand forced in order to survive at face value. But you might also wonder if he was forced to just say so because someone else had read the pregnancy raven before him. Or maybe even he is still playing a game of his own. I've always found it a little difficult to trust Varys completely the same way that Tyrion does. And if you recall the season 6 scene where the Red Priestess tells Varys that if he is a true friend of Danny, he has no worries from her. And there seemed to be a somewhat worried look on his face when she said so. Does that mean anything? 
And, of course, you have to ask what was whispered back to him from the flames. Nonetheless, despite any crazy crackpot thoughts that I may have about Varys and not being able to trust him, it's clear that Daenerys, by the end of Season 6, has come to trust Tyrion's word about Varys and has accepted Varys into the fold. And also, getting back to Jorah, it does seem a little bit convenient that Varys only shows up in Marine after Jorah and Dario have left in search of Daenerys and does not return until Jorah is out of the picture once again. But those are just some wild thoughts that I have. Let's get back to talking about Jorah himself. Jorah's confession and exile leads to actually the only time he's truly defied Daenerys. He defies the banishment, where he returns to her presence not once, but three times, and twice of those times in order to help save her from peril. Now, is Jorah suffering from some type of love-struck fantasy that all will be forgiven? Or is it just a true demonstration of his ultimate loyalty? Despite my disdain towards the thought of Jorah and Danny ever being together as husband and wife, I think there actually may be a case for both lines of reasoning as to the why he returns. Yet, I tend to side more on the undying loyalty being more of a reason than the other. And let's not forget how many of the other key figures in Danny's life that have come through Jorah to Daenerys. Sir Barristan Selmy, Masande, and Grey Worm, all of this due to his urging her to go to Astapor, even though it does seem like Barristan would have probably eventually found her anyway. And of course there is Tyrion Lannister, who, though he was headed towards her again anyway, he had a meeting on a probably faster timetable with Daenerys, and does eventually become Daenerys's Hand of the Queen, all thanks to Jorah. And though there are countless clips throughout the seasons that we could pull from this show, I think that the love and dedication to Daenerys is actually best demonstrated for Jorah from the time his betrayal and love is discovered to the time he says goodbye to her for possibly the last time. Jorah the Andal, you want to please the mother of dragons. You love her. Where are the dragons? Will you betray her again, Jorah the Undal? Will you betray her again? Never. Why were you pardoned? Unless you're saying this document was forged? It is not forged. Why then? I sent letters to Varys, the spy master of King's Landing. What was the content of these letters? Information. What information? When you and Viserys arrived in Pentos, his plan to marry you to Khal Drogo when you were married, when your brother died. You told them I was carrying Drogo's child? I... Yes or no? Calisa. Don't call me that. Did you tell them I was carrying Drogo's child? Yes. That wine merchant tried to poison me? Because of your information. I stopped you from drinking his wine. Because you knew it was poisoned. I suspected. You betrayed me. From the first. Forgive me. I never met. Please, Galisi. Forgive me. You sold my secrets to the man who killed my father I and stole my you brother's throat. You want you. me killed to forgive for you. you. 
I have loved you. Love? Love? How can you say that to me? Any other man I would have you executed, but you, I do not want you in my city dead or alive. Go back to your masters in King's Landing. Collect your pardon, if you can. Nerys, please. Don't ever presume to touch me again or speak my name. You have until dusk to collect your things and leave this city. If you're found in Marine past break of day, I'll have your head thrown into Slaver's Bay. What would you have me do with him? I swore I would kill him if he ever returned. I know. Why should the people trust a queen who can't keep her promises? Whomever Sajora was when he started informing on you, he is no longer that man. I can't remember ever seeing a sane man as devoted to anything as he is to serving you. He claims he would kill for you and die for you, and nothing I have witnessed gives me reason to doubt him. And yet he did betray you. Did he have an opportunity to confess his betrayal? Yes. Many opportunities. And did he? No. Not until forced to do so. He worships you. He is in love with you, I think. But he did not trust you with the truth. An unpleasant truth, to be sure, but one of great significance to you. He did not trust that you would be wise enough to forgive him. So I should kill him. A ruler who kills those devoted to her is not a ruler who inspires devotion. And you're going to need to inspire devotion, a lot of it, if you're ever going to rule across the narrow sea. But you cannot have him by your side when you do. Remove Sejora from the city. I banished you. Twice. You came back, twice, and you saved my life. So I can't take you back, and I can't send you away. You must send me away. Is there a cure? I don't know. How long does it take? I don't know that either. I've seen what happens when it goes far enough. I'll end things before that. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Don't be. All I've ever wanted was to serve you. Tyrion Lannister was right. I love you. I'll always love you. 
Goodbye, Khaleesi. Do not walk away from your queen, Jorah the Andal. You have not been dismissed. You pledged yourself to me. You swore to obey my commands for the rest of your life. Well, I command you to find the cure. Wherever it is in this world. I command you to heal yourself. And then return to me. When I take the Seven Kingdoms, I need you by my side. And while Jorah is, of course, a very capable fighter for himself, there are other warriors that have come to Danny's side as we've gone along. One in particular with probably the best first-hand knowledge of her immediate and now deceased family, and of their triumphs and mistakes. One who was the person who had to confront Jorah about his betrayal. That is Sir Barristan Selmy, former Kingsguard, later Queensguard, and now, of course, deceased himself. Still, the information that Sir Barristan gives Danny about her brother Rhaegar helps us to understand more about the R plus L equals J storyline, as well as counseling restraint to Daenerys often because what he had seen her father do. And that keeps her fire reined in more than it might have been. Everyone looks happy enough from up here. <laughs> what? I was thinking about all the times your brother made me go with him down from the Red Keep into the streets of King's Landing. Why? We like to walk among the people. We like to sing to them. He sang to them? Yes. <laughs> Rhaegar would pick a spot on the hook or the Street of Seeds, and then he'd sing. Just like all the other minstrels. And what did you do? I made sure no one killed him. And I collected the money. Well, he liked to see how much he could make. He was good? He was very good. Viserys never told you. He told me Rhaegar was good at killing people. Rhaegar never liked killing. He loved singing. And what did you do with the money? Well, one time he gave it to the next missile down the street. One time he gave it to an orphanage in Flea Bottom. One time we got horribly drunk. Your <laughs> <laughs> oh, Grace, a word, please, I beg you. About what? About your father. About the Mad King. The Mad King. You're here to remind me of my enemy's lies. Consider me reminded. Your Grace, I served in his King's Guard. I was at his side from the first. Your enemies did not lie. Go on. When the people rose in revolt against him, your father set their towns and castles aflame. He murdered sons in front of their fathers. He burned men alive with wildfire and laughed as they screamed. And his efforts to stamp out dissent led to rebellion that killed every Targaryen, except two. I'm not my father. No, Your Grace. Thank the gods. But the Mad King gave his enemies the justice he thought they deserved, and each time it made him feel powerful and right. Until the very end.
I will not have the son of the harpy executed without a fair trial. Sir Barristan, Sir have I forgotten a council meeting? No. What's this? A royal pardon. Signed by Robert Baratheon. You spied on her. Who gave you this? Does it matter? Have you told her? I wanted to tell you first, man to man. Rather than go behind your back. Let me speak with her in private. You'll never be alone with her again. Yet another person very close to her, at least in a physical sense, is Dario Naharis, the leader of the Selsard army that calls themselves the Second Sons. Not only a fierce warrior, Dario has gotten what Jorah actually always wanted, a chance to be with Daenerys intimately. And surprisingly enough, his counsel has not always been terribly bad, from the tactics of the Battle of Yunkai straight through to his joining many voices making her aware that conquering is not the same thing as ruling even though there have been times when he has proposed some extreme measures to counteract the Sons of the Harpy and their financial supporters, the wise masters of Yunkai and Volantis. It has always kind of been a point for me to have a slight trust issue with Dario, a man who killed his own superiors, who could be bought by gold. Yet, by the time Daenerys leaves Marine, setting her eyes on Westeros, she obviously trusts him enough to temporarily rule in her stead over a slave-free empire that she has created. But also by the close of Season 6, Daenerys has learned that she needs a consort that is fit to be accepted by her side in Westeros rather than giving in to her sexual fantasies or just to the man who seems to love her. You were sent here to kill me. <laughs> so why haven't you? I don't want to. What do your captains have to say about that? You should ask them. Why? We had philosophical differences. Over what? Your beauty. It meant more to me than it did to them. You're a strange man. I'm the simplest man you'll ever meet. I only do what I want to do. What in this is supposed to impress me? Yes. Why would I trust a man who murders his comrades? They ordered me to murder you. I told them I preferred not to. They told me I had no choice. I told them I am Dario Nahais. I always have a choice. Swear to me. The second sons are yours, and so is Dario Naharis. My sword is yours, my life is yours. My heart is yours. All right, what is this matter of strategy? The dusk rose. Would you like to walk at the back of the train instead of riding? This one's called Lady's Lace. Would you like to walk without shoes? You have to know a land to rule it. It's plants, it's 
rivers, it's roads, it's people. Dust grows tea, eases fever. Everyone in Marine knows that, especially the slaves who have to make the tea. If you want them to follow you, you have to become a part of their world. Strategy. You are a gambler, aren't you? These are my private quarters. If I want you here, I will summon you. Forgive me, my queen. I, I live to serve you. Tell me why you're here. Came to ask a favor. I only have two talents in this world. War and women. You are staying here, Marine, to rule. That is a wise decision. I respect it, but... Here in Marine, I cannot pursue my talents. I've ordered the Second Sons to patrol the streets to stop the revenge killing. You've ordered us to be night. And patrol. as for women, there are thousands in Marine you can pursue. There's only one. And she does not want me. You swore me your sword. My sword is yours till the day I die. So if I command you to stay in Marine and patrol the streets? I'll stay in Marine and patrol the streets. Send me to kill your enemies. Any enemy, anywhere. Let me do what I do best. Very well. Do what you do best. Take off your clothes. You're the queen. Everyone's too afraid of you to speak truth. Everyone but me. You've made thousands of enemies all across the world. As soon as they see weakness, they'll attack. Show your strength here, now. That's why I have the Unsullied patrolling the streets. <laughs> Anyone with a chest full of gold can buy an army of Unsullied. You're not the mother of Unsullied. You're the mother of dragons. I don't want another child's bones dropped at my feet. No one's seen Drogon in weeks. For all I know, he's flown halfway across the world. I can't control them anymore. A dragon queen with no dragons? It's not a queen. How many ships will I need to bring my colors out to Westeros? Dothraki and all their horses, the Unsullied, the Second Sons. A thousand ships, easily. Probably more. And who has that many? Nobody. Nobody yet. So we ride from Marine, and after that, we sail for Westeros. And what then? I take what is mine. You weren't made to sit on a chair in a palace. What was I made for? You're a conqueror, Daenerys Stormborn. If we take Casterly Rock, the Lannisters will have nowhere to run when you hit King's Landing. You're not going to Westeros. You're staying here with the Second Sons. There's finally peace in Marine. You will keep the peace while the people choose their own leaders. I'm here for you, not them. You promised me. My sword is yours. My life is yours. This is what I command. If I'm going to rule in Westeros, I'll need to make alliances. The best way to make alliances is with marriage. Who are you marrying this time? I don't know. Maybe no one.
But you need to lure all the noble houses to the table. Are you a queen or fishbait? I can't bring a lover to Westeros. A king wouldn't think twice about it. So that's what you want? To be my mistress? I'm not proud. I, I don't care what perfumed aristocrat sits beside you in the throne room. I don't want a crown. I want you. I love you. And I make you happy. You know I do. Bring me with you. Let me fight for you. I can't. The dwarf told you to do this. No one tells me to do anything. Clever fellow. Can't argue with his logic. I'm not used to you over there. Don't get angry. I'm not angry. I'm full of self-pity. Who comes after you? Who can ever follow Daenerys Stormborn, the mother of dragons? A great number of women, I imagine. Specific orders will be left for you regarding the welfare of Marine and the Bay of Dragons. The Bay of Dragons? We can't call it Slaver's Bay anymore, can we? You'll get that throne you want so badly, I'm sure of it. I hope it brings you happiness. I pity the Lords of Westeros. They have no idea what's coming for them. Farewell, Darian Harris. And interestingly enough, Daenerys has surrounded herself typically with males. And while that is part of the architecture of the society, we see that it's really not Daenerys's line of thinking. One female presence that Daenerys does have at her side, other than her Dothraki handmaidens, is Masande, her translator. While it's hard to say how much influence Masande has on a daily basis with Daenerys, even with their first meeting in Astapor, you could see Daenerys recognized Missandei's abilities to be diplomatic during her translations of Krasnus's crude words. And Missandei's relationship with Grey Worm has actually given Daenerys a chance to show the softer side of herself, the more feminine side of herself, as well as Missandei giving Daenerys a great vote of confidence in terms of trusting her own self. Do you have a name? This one's name is Masande, Your Grace. Do you have a family, a mother and a father you'd return to if you had the choice? No, Your Grace. No family living. You belong to me now. It is your duty to tell me the truth. Yes, Your Grace, lying is a great offence. Many of those on the Walk of Punishment were taken there for less. I offered water to one of the slaves dying on the Walk of Punishment. Do you know what he said to me? Let me die. There are no masters in the grave, Your Grace. You know that I'm taking you to war. You may go hungry. You may fall sick. You may be killed. Valar Mogulis. Yes. All men must die. But we are not men. Yes, Your Grace. How can anyone speak 19 languages? It only took Your Grace a year to learn Dothraki reasonably now. Yes, well, it was either learn Dothraki or grunt at my husband and hope. What do you mean reasonably well? Dothraki is difficult for the mouth to master. So guttural and harsh. Jahakar. Well, I suppose I'm a bit out of practice. Your High Valyrian is very good, Your Grace. The 
gods could not devise a more perfect tongue. It is the only proper language for poetry. You think he was spying on you? No, not spying. The Dothraki think outsiders are ridiculous taking shame in the naked body. They make love under the stars for the whole Kalisar to see. Yes, Your Grace. But you are not Dothraki. No. Well, I don't see why it matters. Grey Worm isn't interested. None of the unsullied care what's under our clothes. He was interested. What? I believe he was interested. When the slavers castrate the boys, did they take all of it? All of it? The... the pillar and the stones. I don't know, Your Grace. Haven't you ever wondered? Yes, Your Grace. Sir Barristan counseled mercy when I took this city right up to the morning he died. Dario Naharis thinks I should kill the former masters and let the rest of the city fend for itself. What do you think? Your Grace, I think that I'm not fit to have an opinion on these matters. You are as fit as anyone I know. You know why I'm here. And you know who will suffer the most if this all falls apart. So? What do you think? I can only tell you what I have seen, Your Grace. I have seen you listen to your counsellors. I have seen you lean on their experience when your own was lacking. And weigh the choices they put before you. And I have seen you ignore your counsellors. Because there was a better choice. One that only you could see. I want to pause on that last little clip of Masande saying that Daenerys sometimes finds the only answer for herself. Now, for a girl who is always seeking answers, how can that be? We've seen her lean on counsel, as Masande says, Yet in some of the biggest moments of Daenerys' life, she has proceeded on her own against counsel. For instance, the birthing of the dragging eggs, going into the House of the Undying alone, using Drogon as a way to free the unsullied and slaves of Astapor. All of these were, again, against counsel. But maybe there is a magical reason for this. Recall that Daenerys told the Spice King that she has dreams that come true back in Season 2. Forgive me, little princess, but I cannot make an investment based on wishes and dreams. Now, if you'll pardon me. Do you know Illyrio Patis, Magistar of Pentos? Yes, we've met. A shrewd man. For my wedding, he gave me three petrified dragon eggs. He believed, the world believed, that the ages had turned them to stone. How many centuries had it been since dragons roamed the skies? But I dreamt that if I carried those eggs into a great fire, they would hatch. When I stepped into the fire, my own people thought I was mad. But when the fire burned out, I was unhurt. The mother of dragons. Do you understand? I'm no ordinary woman. My dreams come true. A dragon is worth more than any army. Egan Targaryen proved that. 
You're both here to advise me. I value your advice, but if you ever question me in front of strangers again, you'll be advising someone else. Is that understood? Is it possible that these dreams that come true, or her defiance of specific counsel, is due to a form of green seeing? Just like Bran, who can see the future in the past? Maybe you can even lump in the way that she knew that she could take Marine was to collect those collars of the crucified slaves so that the slaves within the city would see them and rise up against the masters. And if she does have some kind of green seeing ability, not unlike Bran or maybe even like Melisandre looking into the flames, is it possible where sometimes when she has made mistakes, she has merely misinterpreted the signs of her dreams? Or that her lowest moments since the birth of her dragons have been since she chained the two of them up? Is her ability to make her dreams come true tied to dragon magic? If so, this could be a great asset that we will see tapped more in the future. But as she continues through Marine, perhaps one of the best things to ever happen to Daenerys was Tyrion Lannister, a man who has become her Hand of the Queen by the end of Season 6, and with good reason. His experience as Joffrey's Hand and as Master of Coin has shown him every aspect of ruling, from war to negotiation, and he, perhaps more than anyone else, has given her the insight and tools with which not to merely conquer, but to rule. If you are Tyrion Lannister, why shouldn't I kill you? To pay your family back for what it did to mine. You want revenge against the Lannisters? I killed my mother, Joanna Lannister, on the day I was born. I killed my father, Tywin Lannister, with a bolt to the heart. I am the greatest Lannister killer of our time. So I should welcome you into my service because you murdered members of your own family. Into your service? Your Grace, we have only just met. It's too soon to know if you deserve my service. If you'd rather return to the fighting pits, just say the word. When I was a young man, I heard a story about a baby born during the worst storm in living memory. She had no wealth, no lands, no army, only a name and a handful of supporters, most of whom probably thought they could use that name to benefit themselves. They kept her alive, moving her from place to place, often hours ahead of the men who'd been sent to kill her. She was eventually sold off to some warlord on the edge of the world, and that appeared to be that. And then, a few years later, most well-informed person I knew told me that this girl, without wealth, lands, or armies, had somehow acquired all three in a very short span of time, along with three dragons. He thought she was our best, last chance to build a better world. Thought you were worth meeting, at the very least. And why are you worth meeting? Why should I spend my time listening to you? Because you cannot build a better world on your own. You have no one at your side who understands the land you want to rule. The strengths and weaknesses of the houses that will either join or oppose you. I will have a very large army. And very large dragons. Killing and politics aren't always the same thing. When I served as Hand of the King, I did quite well with the latter, considering the king in question preferred torturing animals to leading his people. I could do an even better job. Advising a ruler worth the name, if that is indeed what you are. So have you decided yet? Whether I'm worthy of your service? Have you decided yet whether you're going to have me killed? It's probably my safest option. I can see why you would think so. It's what your father would have done. I know what my father was. What he did. 
I know the Mad King earned his name. Why did you travel to the far side of the world to meet someone terrible? To see if you were the right kind of terrible. Which kind is that? The kind that prevents your people from being even more so. It's not impossible that Varys was right about you after all. Varys? King Robert's spymaster? Yes. He's the one who convinced me to come find you. He was my traveling companion before Sir Joros seized that role for himself. Joros sent my secrets to Varys. For 20 years, the spider oversaw the campaign to find and kill me. He did what he had to do to survive. He did a lot of other things as well, things he didn't have to do. I suspect he's the main reason you weren't slaughtered in your crib. But you trust him? Yes, oddly. He may be the only person in the world I trust. Except my brother. The brother who killed my father? That's the one. Perhaps I will have you killed after all. Your queenly prerogative. I'd given up on life. Until Varys convinced me you might be worth living for. You chop off my head. Well, my final days were interesting. I'm not going to kill you. So if I'm not going to be murdered and I'm not going to be banished... You're going to advise me. Advise you on what? How to get what I want. The Iron Throne. Perhaps you should try wanting something else. If I want jokes, I'll get myself a proper fool. I'm not entirely joking. There's more to the world than Westeros, after all. How many hundreds of thousands of lives have you changed for the better here? But this is not my home. When you get back to your home, who supports you? The common people. Let's be generous and assume that's going to happen. Here in Slaver's Bay, you had the support of the common people, and only the common people. What was that like? Ruling without the rich. House Targaryen is gone. Not a single person who shares your blood is alive to support you. The Starks are gone as well. Our two terrible fathers saw to that. The remaining members of House Lannister will never back you, not ever. Stannis Baratheon won't back you either. His entire claim to the throne rests on the illegitimacy of yours. That leaves the Tyrells. Not impossible. Not enough. Lannister, Targaryen, Baratheon, Stark, Tyrell. They're all just spokes on a wheel. This one's on top, then that one's on top, and on and on it spins, crushing those on the ground. It's a beautiful dream. Stopping the wheel. You're not the first person who's ever dreamt it. I'm not going to stop the wheel. I'm going to break the wheel. So it's safe to say that a fragile piece has taken hold. For now. For now is the best we get in our profession. It's not enough. Considering the city was on the brink of civil war, I'd say it's a good start. It's not enough for Marine to have peace. They need to know Daenerys is responsible for it. The sons of the Harpy have a good story. Resist the foreign invaders. Our queen has an even better story. Mother of dragons, breaker of chains, and all that. The people know who brought them freedom. Yes, but do they know who brought them security? Who brought about an end to the violence? We need someone the people trust. Someone they know cannot be bought or influenced. Sounds like quite the hero. Where will we find him? Who said anything about him? But the rebirth of Marine is the cause of this violence. The masters cannot let Marine succeed. Because if Marine succeeds, a city without slavery, a city without masters, it proves that no one needs a master. Good. 
Shall we begin? Do we have a plan? I will crucify the masters. I will set their fleets afire, kill every last one of their soldiers and return their cities to the dirt. That is my plan. You don't approve. You once told me you knew what your father was. Did you know his plans for King's Landing when the Lannister armies were at his gates? Probably not. Well, he told my brother and Jamie told me. He had caches of wildfire hidden under the Red Keep. The Guild Halls, the Scepter Baylor, all the major thoroughfares. He would have burned every one of his citizens. The loyal ones and the traitors. Every man, woman, and child. That's why Jamie killed him. This is entirely different. We're talking about destroying cities. It's not entirely different. I'd like to suggest an alternate approach. You have your armies. You have your ships. You have your dragons. Everything you've ever wanted, since you were old enough to want anything. It's all yours of the taking. Are you afraid? Good. You're in the great game now. And the great game is terrifying. The only people who aren't afraid of failure are madmen like your father. Well, you have completely failed to console me. For what it's worth, I've been a cynic for as long as I can remember. Everyone's always asking me to believe in things. Family, gods, kings, myself. It was often tempting until I saw where belief got people. So I said no thank you to belief. And yet, here I am. I believe in you. It's embarrassing, really. I'd swear you're my sword, but I don't actually own a sword. It's your counsel I need. It's yours, now and always. Good. I, um, I had something made for you. And I'm, I'm not sure if it's right. Tyrion Lannister. I name you Hand of the Queen. But let's not forget that Daenerys was already on a path towards compromise before Tyrion's arrival. Even though some may criticize that her compromises might have been either ineffective or extreme, for one, the decision to chain up her two dragons, something that Tyrion, of course, corrected later on for her. A second compromise would be marrying Hisdar, something that proved somewhat fruitless in the end. But Daenerys was making the effort. So despite the fact that some would say her storyline seemed to stand still for long periods of time in the time that we've known her, that time was perhaps needed to give Daenerys the things that she needed most. 
an army of Unsullied. And now, after Vase Dothrak, another huge army of Dothraki that are all behind her. She's gained knowledge of ruling, and more importantly, met and retained the people who can probably most effectively guide her in this aspect when she does need counsel. And the final piece that people have actually been alluding to since Season 1, having the different houses ready to rise up with her, she has gotten from Westeros, people who will support her, in terms of Yara from the Iron Islands, the Queen of Thorns from the Reach, and the Sand Snakes of Dorne. The last time a Tyrell came to Dorne, he was assassinated. A hundred red scorpions, was it? We have nothing to fear from us, Lady Olenna. You murder your own prince, but you expect me to trust you? The Lannisters have declared war on House Tyrell. They have declared war on Dorne. We must be allies now, if we wish to survive. Cersei stole the future from me. She killed my son. She killed my grandson. She killed my granddaughter. Survival is not what I'm after now. You're absolutely right. I chose the wrong words. It is not survival I offer. It is your heart's desire. And what is my heart's desire? Vengeance. Justice. Fire and blood. You've brought us a hundred ships from the Iron Fleet, with men to sail them. In return, I expect you want me to support your claim to the throne of the Iron Islands? Not my claim. Yes. And what's wrong with you? I'm not fit to rule. We can agree upon that, at least. Has the Iron Islands ever had a queen before? No more than Westeros. Our uncle Euron returned home after a long absence. He murdered our father and took the salt throne from Yara. He would have murdered us if we'd stayed. Lord Tyrion tells me your father was a terrible king. You and I have that in common. We do. And both murdered by a usurper as well. Will their ships be enough? With the former master's fleet, possibly. Barely. There are more than a hundred ships in the Iron Fleet. There are. Then Euron is building more. He's going to offer them to you. So why shouldn't I wait for him? The Iron Fleet isn't all he's bringing. He also wants to give you... His big cock. I think he said. Euron's offer is also an offer of marriage. You see, you won't get one without the other. And I imagine your offer is free of any marriage demands. I never demand, but I'm up for anything, really. He murdered our father and would have murdered us. He'll murder you as soon as you have what he wants. The Seven Kingdoms. All of them. And you don't want the Seven Kingdoms? Your ancestors defeated ours and took the Iron Islands. We ask you to give them back. And that's all? We'd like you to help us murder an uncle or two who don't think a woman's fit to rule. Reasonable. What if everyone starts demanding their independence? She's not demanding, she's asking. The others are free to ask as well. Our fathers were evil men, all of us here. They left the world worse than they found it. We're not going to do that. We're going to leave the world better than we found it. You will support my claim as Queen of the Seven Kingdoms. 
and respect the integrity of the Seven Kingdoms. No more reaving, roving, raiding, or raping. That's our way of life. No more. No more. Looking forward, it seems that we can guess Daenerys is definitely on her way to Westeros, of course, but where will she land? To me, Dorne seems likely, and then moving up through the Reach, as those two places seem to be with her now. But I go back to Melisandre saying that a night would come, and the seas would freeze, back in her very first scene in Season 2. Could this freezing of the seas literally happen, and possibly delay Daenerys from reaching her goals as quickly as we think she might? Then, of course, there is the question of once arriving in Westeros, can Danny manage the Dothraki army to keep them from destroying everything that she rules over? What about her dragons? Will they be allowed to roam the skies of Westeros freely? What of the debt the Iron Throne owes to the Iron Bank of Bravos? Will Tyrion be able to help out there? What of the White Walkers and their dead army? All of these questions remain for Season 7, of course, but we do know that more than ever before, Daenerys is possibly, finally, as prepared as she ever will be to retake the throne for the Targaryens. There was a raven from King's Landing. Feedback. And we do have a little bit of feedback uh, that I can share with you. This is an email from Pat, and the email is titled, In Defense of the Man Who Murdered Jon Snow. It's a response to our Jon Snow podcast. I'm really enjoying the Jon Snow character analysis. It's kind of surprising how emotionally impactful the audio clips you put together are. The second part of your Jon Snow series talked a great deal about Jon's time as Lord Commander, which prompted me to talk about one of Jon's nemesis at the Wall, Sir Alistair Thorne. Let me state up front that Thorne is a villain for his mutiny and murder of Jon Snow, but I don't think he was irrational necessarily in his course of action. Let me explain. It seemed weird that Thorne killed John for wanting to let the wildlings in, particularly after Hardhome and John's reports of the undead wildling army. After all, Thorne did allow John to bring the wildling refugees across. If he was upset about it, you would think he would have made a point not to let them in, or declare John a traitor then, or whatever. 
Killing John after the wildlings had already migrated south doesn't fix the problem of the wildlings being south of the wall. So Thorin's murder of John seems irrational, or at least ill-timed. But when Thorin stated that he was killing John for the watch, maybe he meant it. The Night's Watch doesn't get involved in the politics of the realm, but clearly they're not necessarily protected from politics. Stannis could have wiped them all out and taken control of the wall for himself. In the best of times, they depend on whoever is in charge south of them to send aid because the watch is so undermanned and the wall is enormous and requires maintenance. And Thorne is savvy enough to noodle through the repercussions in taking unjustified action against the Lord Commander. Thorne had probably been hoping that John would have died on his expedition to Hardhome, which would have removed John as a problem and cleared the path for Thorne to be Lord Commander. When John returned with a wildling army, Thorne opted to obey, probably because John was still looked upon favorably by King Stannis, who still had a large, viable army and could return in force to the wall. Stannis had known about John's plans to venture to Hardhome and return with the wildling refugees, and had not had any objection. So Thorne must have considered that acting against John in the aftermath of Hardhome could have been considered unjust and unlawful by Stannis. Stannis isn't known for his leniency with lawbreakers. So I don't think it's a coincidence that after the word of Stannis' defeat became known, that Thorne chose to move against John, because now it would be easier to justify killing John for letting the wildlings in. Thorne would also recognize that John's death would probably be accepted positively by the new Warden of the North. Stannis had offered John legitimacy once, which represented a threat to the Bolton rule. John's death would, of course, eliminate that threat, an event that would be something that benefited Roose Bolton without reflecting badly on him, since it would have been a Night's Watch matter. But would killing John be a rational move with the White Walker army coming? I assume that Thorne didn't know about the others on the way, or he didn't believe the account from Hardhome. His killing of John for personal reasons makes sense for more usual reasons of ambition and other selfish factors. But it also makes sense that if Thorne believed in the White Walker threat for Thorne to kill John, provided Thorne felt John's position as Lord Commander would be a negative for the effort. The Night's Watch was at its lowest point and would not be able to defend the Wall alone. They'd need help from the Warden of the North, and that help might not be as forthcoming while Jon Snow was alive. Tywin was happy to let the Ironborn secede from the Seven Kingdoms because it negatively affected the Starks. Roose might have had a similar feeling about the Night's Watch survival, that they weren't all that necessary, and let him be eliminated if it removed the symbolic threat of Ned Stark's bastard son. So Thorne might have killed John as a necessary sacrifice for the greater good from his perspective, much like John killed Corrin Halfhand for the greater good in infiltrating Mance's army. It seemed pretty clear that Thorne was pitching this narrative to the north right before he killed John. Lord Small John Umber came to Ramsay Bolton with the news that Jon Snow was leading a waddling army. That wasn't true at the time, so my guess is that Thorne's plan was to alert the north, or at least the most northern house, the Umbers, that John had not just let in the wildlings, but was going to lead them, which could then help defuse any repercussions to the mutiny and also start to get the North organizing against the wildling refugees, who would then have no advocate. Anyway, just some thoughts, best regards, and congratulations on your upcoming 300th episode. 
All right. Uh, well, thank you very much for the email, Pat. I really appreciate it. Some interesting thoughts there. And yes, our 300th episode is coming up, folks. Uh, be sure to send me emails if you like in response to any of our podcasts. We'll try and catch up all of our feedback during that 300th episode. If you want to participate, call in on November 28th of 2016 to talk to you. Talkshoe.com. You dial 724-444-7444. You'll be asked for a call ID, 11884 pound sign. And then if asked for a personal identification number or PIN, just dial one pound and you'll be added to the call as guest. We're going to take TV only people first and then we're going to take up book people. And if you have issues for both sides, then we'll hear you on one side of it and hear you on the other side of it. I'd love it if you could join me. And uh, thanks again for listening to this one. Next week, we're going to take a look at Jamie Lannister. So stick around for that. And here's Axel Foley to tell you how to contact me. Take care. You've been listening to Podcast Winterfell. Find the podcast blog at podcastwinterfell.com. Follow the podcast on Twitter, twitter.com slash winterfellpod. Contact the podcast either by email, podcastwinterfell at gmail.com, or by calling the listener line, 314-669-1840.